Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And today, after Guy Talk, things have settled down in the studio. And Vince Miller's joining me. And he is the author of 19 books and a 28-year ministry veteran. And he is uh, does amazing ministry primarily for men. But he's got quite a story and, and quite a message. And he is a great student of God's Word. So I love having him in. Uh, one of the books he's written recently was called The Book of Job. It's a Bible study guide for men. But today we're going to talk about the book of Daniel, but just the first five chapters. We're not going to be overly ambitious here, but I'm looking forward to having that discussion. Vince, nice to have you here. Oh, great to be here. Yeah. So we're going to look at five chapters in Daniel. And so fairly uh, ambitious project for one hour, but I think we can do it. We can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start uh, in chapter one, because that would make the most amount of sense if we're going to do five chapters, the first five chapters. Yeah. Yeah. What do we learn in chapter one? So, you know, Daniel's an interesting character, I think, simply because I think he portrays uh, for us an understanding of what it means to be faithful in unfaithful times. So kind of the setup here is uh, Nebuchadnezzar is king of the world. So he's a world emperor. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is one of the greatest kings who has ever lived. He's also the greatest villain in the entire Bible. (laughs) Literally the greatest villain. I think he's mentioned like 90 times all over six different books of the Bible as this notorious villain. He goes into Judah, Jerusalem, takes it, destroys it, takes articles actually from the temple, which come back into play in chapter 5. And uh, he brings Daniel and a few of the best and brightest into captivity, right? Mm -hmm. And he's, honestly, uh, it's kind of a scary moment. He brings these young men, they're very young at the time, and they're going to spend the next 70 years in captivity, all right? And Daniel's one of these guys, and he is the representative of, I believe, the prototypical man of God, right? He's going to be faithful in unfaithful times. So he he comes into uh, the city of Babylonia, which is this great majestic city, massive walls, got some moat around it, has so many resources that someone could live inside of the city for 20 years and never leave. So it's this massive empire. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as a god. Uh, These young men are then brought into the palace. They are castrated. Mm. They are then renamed. The names of their God are taken from them. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of then this methodical re-education at a liberal satanic university where (laughs) they're methodically re-educated. And so we kind of have this depiction, I believe, of what we see happening in our world kind of slowly over time today, right? The intentional renaming of people and re-identifying of people. We have the mutilation of human body that's happening to young people. We have the uh, ostr- uh, uh, the, the total annihilation of God inside of public education, and then we have secular universities pushing an agenda very quietly and silently uh, through our uh, schools, And so I, I think we can see what's happening here in this world empire inside of Babylonia, this majestic city, the intentional, intentional pursuit of trying to re-educate and uh, essentially 
uh, take people who were uh, for God and remove God from the complete system and then turn them into sympathizers and send them back out. That's what they're trying to do. So, I mean, that's basically chapter one right there. I mean, mm-hmm. quite a chapter, right? That's a huge chapter. So let's talk about the the chosen uh, from Judah, which would have been uh, Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. Mm-hmm. And they get new names. Mm-hmm. And we're probably more familiar with some of their their new names than their their original names. Oh, yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know those. Uh, we do know those. Veggie Tales. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, their names also had uh, the name God in them, and it's completely removed. They're given new names, new identities. And so, uh, you know, it, it's funny, I think, that uh, these men continue to be faithful even though they're living in somewhat of a religious oppressive system, and I use the word somewhat mm-hmm. lightly. They are in a time that does not favor God, and yet they still see God's sovereign hand at work. They, I, I believe they actually understand what God is doing as he is essentially uh, cleaning house with his people and punishing, punishing them for their crimes against God. At the same time, they do see God's sovereignty at work through these 70 years, specifically these 43 with Nebuchadnezzar. And these men remain faithful. They figure out how to live as faithful men in very difficult and challenging times, which I think is what is upon us in our current culture today. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure this out. And yeah. It's stressful and full of anxiety. It is. Vince Miller is my guest. You can learn more about Vince at bresolute.org. Correct. Correct. Cool. I took a shot in the dark there. I figured that it was, was good. Or, org or com, one of, one of the two. <laughs> Flip a coin. So let's go back to Daniel resolving himself not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Yeah. Let's I, talk more about that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting moment, isn't it, that Daniel is is brought to this moment where he's he's forced to eat certain foods and he knows that he shouldn't eat those foods. So he begins to kind of, he doesn't just, he doesn't, he doesn't throw a big fit. He tries to wager is what he does. He tries to pres- present a different solution. And so he says, well, put this to the test. Uh, try your hand with this. Let let me eat only this food so he doesn't defile himself with unclean animals like eating horse meat, for example, which they were prohibited from eating. Uh, he says, let me just eat vegetables and let's see who's better after a number of days mm-hmm. and see if I don't appear just as healthy. So he kind of puts the the rulers, the people who oversaw him at that moment to the test. And of course, he looks better. So they present a new meal plan to everybody, which, <laughs> by the way, probably really upset some of the people. But if, if you think about this moment just for a second, why is Daniel the only one of the best and brightest of God's people who's willing to take this stand? And by taking this stand, he's actually putting not only himself at risk, he's putting all of God's people at risk, too. So this is part of the conundrum of taking a stand in, inside of a culture for our faith, Yeah. right? When when we know we're not just putting ourselves at risk, we're putting everybody else at risk. And what happens if it doesn't work? I mean, you, have you ever thought about that? What happens if this plan doesn't work? Yeah. Uh, what happens now that it does work because... No one else is getting meat at the table now because, I mean, this is the palace of the greatest king who has ever lived. Do you think his meals were good? 
the Absolutely. Best. He yeah. had bacon wrapped filet mignons every yeah. night. I mean, he had the best With wine. blue cheese crumbles. <laughs> exactly. If that's the way you like it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, either, either way, uh, Daniel's in a little bit of conundrum here because he's going to put someone at risk. He's either going to put the, the, fa- the so-called faithful of Judah at risk, or he's going to put everybody else in the house mm-hmm. at risk too. So uh, he chooses to take a stand and, and God's with him. And I, I actually think it's beautiful what Daniel. I think everything he does is incredible. But uh, you got to think he is a young man. He might be in his late teens, and he does this as a prisoner. He takes a stand mm. before an edict of the most powerful emperor of all times, and then persuades one of his underlings to allow him to do this. And then that underling takes a risk too by saying, "Okay, we'll try it," but let's not tell anybody. And then after a few days, obviously. There's evidence for it, and then this underling then presents this plan to say, hey, we're changing the meal plan around here. You know, mm-hmm. uh, We're moving veggies. Yummy. Yum. So. Yeah. You don't win friends with vegetables, right? <laughs> yeah, not many times, <laughs> I don't think. So I'm looking for the practical application uh, in this uh, story here, Vince. I mean, it sounds like uh, he took a stand in a pretty hostile environment. Does that apply today? <laughs> I think it applies just about everywhere, okay. doesn't it? All right. I think, you know, we I think there's people today who are listening who work work in let's say larger more enterprise businesses that have moments where they're going to have to take a stand for what they believe in. I I think there's people Christians who work in educational institutions today who are going to be pushed, right, to adhere to policies. That might put their job at risk. I I speak to these people all the time. There's all kinds of policies that push the edge of our faith where we might have to take a stand. Uh, There's there's coaches who are going to have to choose to stand for their faith or kneel on center court of a football field and risk losing their jobs. We've seen that happen recently, right? And then Supreme Court cases won eventually. So some people are going to win, some are going to lose, and some are going to eventually win. But we have to just decide that we are all in for Jesus all the time and be willing to take small risks. Now, how big are these risks? I I don't know. Everybody has a different size or a different measure of what a risk looks like to them. But it might mean that you lose a friend or you lose a job or uh, you you put yourself at risk inside of your church for taking a stand for something you believe in. And I think we're going to see more of this actually happen inside the confines of the church where we're going to have to decide, do we agree with the agenda or the preaching or the doctrine in the coming ages? And so uh, these are all questions I think we're wrestling with right now. The the approach is everything, though. I love the way Daniel does it here. He he takes a moment to kind of assess the situation. He understands what he needs to do, but he he doesn't just take this hard stand that puts him in a combatant place with the policy. He tries to find a way to work with it by presenting a solution, not just his rejection of it. And I think that's quite beautiful. We got to figure out how to do more of that today, Bill. I agree. Vince Miller's my guest. We're going to take a short break and we come back continue our study of the first five chapters of the book of Daniel. If you have any comments or questions, let me know what they are. You can text them over, 877-933-2484. Vince can be discovered, found, located at beresolute.org. Beresolute.org. Be right back.
Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. If you are just climbing into your car, I hope you had a good day. Whatever you were doing, if you were working or being with other friends or family and taking care of business today, I hope at the end of the day you can have some time in the car on the way home. Today you're going to learn a little bit about Daniel, the first five chapters. We're going to try to get through them with my guest, Vince Miller. You can learn more about Vince at BeResolute.org, BeResolute.org. All right, Vince, I think we should move on to chapter two. That's the next one. Let's do it. All right. Um, we'll probably jump into Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's fascinating. You know, like uh, uh, some people to me seem unreachable because they're so resistant, so arrogant. The, the narcissism runs so deep. Mm-hmm. But there ain't no one that God can't reach. If he has to use a dream or a nightmare, he will do that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the story of Daniel itself is all these dreams and the writing on the wall and all these miraculous events that God uses to make his way mysteriously into this empire behind the walls, behind the moat, behind the power and the narcissism. And that's actually what captures, captures Nebuchadnezzar in this, this next text. So he, he, he basically sees this, this, this great dream. All right. So he's he's lying in his bed and he's actually terrified by it because he imagines this this massive statue with all these different metals in it that obviously we come to discover represent different empires Mm -hmm. that are going to include him and others that follow him, like the Medo-Persians, the the Greeks, et cetera, the Romans. And uh, he imagines a statue. And then all of a sudden, as he sees this great statue, because he's clearly in his dream standing before it and it's massive, it's massive. All of a sudden, there's this giant hucked stone that just gets delivered at the statue, destroys it to dust, and it crumbles on the ground, and he's terrified by it. So he has this private dream. Now, what I find interesting is what happens next. So he calls all of his his seers and his magicians and his astrologers and, and the Chaldeans and all these people who, who are able to interpret dreams, and he calls them in and he says, says to them, I want you to tell me my dream. And then they say, but we don't know what the dream is. And he says, that's the point. I want you to tell me the dream because if you can tell me the dream, then I know you can't interpret it, mm-hmm. which is kind of a funny proposition. It actually, is. you think about it, it's like, I don't want you to just tell me. I just, I'm not going to tell it to you. I want you to tell it to me and then I want you to interpret it. Well, well, none of them can do it. They think it's all preposterous. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has all kinds of power. So he says, I'm just going to kill all of you. <laughs> so he's, he's going to go out and he's going to slaughter all of them. Well, his, his chief arm bearer is going out to actually gather up these men and slaughter them, and he comes across Daniel. And Daniel says, what's going on? Why are we, why are we killing all these people? This is, uh, you know, my Cliff Notes version of it. And then he brings, essentially, he brings Daniel in, and Daniel is going to tell him the dream, right, and interpret the dream. And, of course, as we read the story, uh, Daniel does tell him the dream, and then Nebuchadnezzar is awed by that. And then he tells him the meaning of of the dream, which essentially is this. You're a great, great man with a great empire. 
but your time is going to come to an end, and there's going to be three empires after you, and they're going to be crushed by the hand of God. And that's it. Kind of an interesting moment where Daniel is is brought in to uh, the greatest king of all time, one of the great ones, uh, a great villain. And because of this moment, he is made the second most powerful man in all the empire. In fact, he's given lead over all these astrologers and Chaldeans and, and magicians and seers, which is kind of funny. And then because of this win, so to speak, by God, which obviously Daniel understands that God gave him this dream. And Daniel's very clear with Nebuchadnezzar about this. He says, it's not me who knows this dream. It's not me who's going to interpret it for you. It is God who has declared what this dream is. He gave you the dream. He allowed me to see it. And it's him who's declaring this to you, which Again, is another beautiful moment by Daniel. You know, he stewards this truth very carefully, understanding that it ain't about him standing against another man. It's about God trying to get a hold of this man's heart. That's it. And I think there is another great application in that for us today as we look at the the, the culture that we're kind of warring with in our time. It's not about us being right or us getting our message across, or us delivering God's message our way. It's really all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about his spirit. And it's all about us telling other people about who he is and communicating that truth to them and removing our ego from those moments. Now, does Daniel get something out of it? Well, yeah, he does. He gets promoted. He gets some new clothes. He gets some new living quarters. And he (laughs) promotes his three buds. But we tend to focus on that stuff. It's nothing about those things. Those things don't matter. Because if you keep reading ahead in the story after Nebuchadnezzar dies, uh, Daniel kind of disappears from the scene a little bit. We, We don't hear about him for four more kings until he gets to the finally to the end of his his chapter in Daniel chapter five. So it's just a fascinating story of how we can stand against the culture yet really hold to our faith in God and speak God's word his way. Speak God's word his way. Mm, I like that. I love this line that the the king, when he replies to the astrologers and says, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I'm thinking, well, if you cut me into pieces, what do I care about my house at this point? <laughs> Unless that would suggest that not only are you going to die, but I will make life for your family miserable because they'll have no home to, to live in. Yeah, he's basically saying he's going to commit genocide. He's going to destroy them and their families and all their lineage. You know, is to destroy their home, is to destroy their family. Right. So it, it's it's a pretty serious threat. You know, we get all concerned about the country that we live in today. I mean, Daniel lived in a, a, a very different world, very different time. You know, this wasn't a, 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 a republic like ours. Uh, he, he did, Dan didn't get a lot of choices here, right? And so if you were delivered an edict by Nebuchadnezzar, well, it must needs come to pass. But we see a couple of times that he is persuaded to change uh, by God. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 46, Vince, I mean, the posture of King Nebuchadnezzar, fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered him that an offering and incense be presented to him. So he falls prostrate to Daniel. It's like, that's a pretty amazing position for this king to be. Yeah, he has a couple of, like, interesting moments where you're like, okay, 
did he just make a, a turn of faith? You know, yeah. like, is this genuine? And 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 you're you're left wondering. Oh man, that's a beautiful moment. You think everything's going to change, and then, like one chapter forward, he's become this insane man again. You know, I mean, <laughs> he's like, this man is the most egotistical man that you're going to find. I think in the Bible. I mean, there are other egotistical men, but but this guy, he has rare rare moments, and you know, for the most part, I think that he thinks that Daniel. And Daniel's God is putting on a show for him. Does that make sense? Like, he, wow, he talk thinks, about ego. Yeah, no, it's it's a pretty significant. His ego is a problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's been edging God out for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, God's trying to get his attention, but we we see it momentarily. We see these moments, these split second moments, and I, I think some people are like that. Some people give us hope that they're going to make a change of faith, but it doesn't take root, as Jesus said. You know, there are some for some who. Uh, experience the truth of God, and it falls on hard ground. So I think we can categorize Nebuchadnezzar at times as hard ground. There are times that it kind of takes root, but, you know, maybe the, the the rocks dry it out or the thorns and the thistles become a problem. But we know this, Nebuchadnezzar never produces any real fruit. We We see moments, but there's no fruit of obedience. We're even left hanging at the end of chapter Four, I think, and uh, it's just it's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Well, we will get there, but let's uh, talk about what Nebuchadnezzar does uh, on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He creates an image of gold sixty cubits high and six cubits wide, and sets it up, and then he orders all of the governors and advisors and treasurers and judges to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you know, it's funny, but I think this story is indicative. It's almost a parable, I think, of every man. Every man and woman left to themselves uh, will become a god in their own mind. You know, this man has been left to his vices so long that he actually believes that he's the greatest of all time. I mean, in his head, he is the goat, you know. And this guy takes it so far that he finally goes out to the plane and he sets up a fiery furnace, okay, so we know that's there. He melts down a bunch of gold and uses it in the most useless way right. ever. I mean, it's like the biggest waste of money ever. <laughs> so he constructs this golden statue of himself and then orders that everybody worship him, which you think is preposterous, but there are small ways that we all do this in our own life. I mean, just small, tiny ways that we will elevate ourselves above above other people or against God, and we create these small, little, I, I, iconic moments for ourselves where we pat ourselves on the back and we think, man, I crushed it. I killed it. I'm the mm-hmm. greatest, man. I'm the best. And And it is a good feeling to be... Uh, appreciated and cared for, but man, this is the representation of the ugliness of man, isn't it? When we have constructed an image of ourselves. Well, let's go back after the break, um, Vince, and talk about this furnace he sets up and how important it is to worship this image and what the consequence is if you don't worship the image. That's going to be the topic as we return. Uh, We're in Daniel chapter 3 with Vince Miller learn more about Vince at BeResolute.org. BeResolute.org. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm back with my friend Vince Miller. We're talking about the first five chapters of the book of Daniel. And uh, Vince, before we jump back into Daniel, as you're looking at that Bible, which is provided for you by the studio here at Faith Radio. Thank and, you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I mean, you don't get to take it home, but <laughs> you just get to use it. I wrote it. my name in it already. Oh, did you already? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's you were commenting earlier about how intensely personal your own Bible is, where you've got your notes and you've, you know, all your references and... It's sometimes hard to find passages in Scripture when you're not, when you don't have your own Bible. Yeah. Because you're so conditioned by it. Yeah. And you told me a crazy story about what happened to your 20 year Bible. I'd love for you to tell that story. Oh, yeah. So I was, uh, it was a Minnesota winter, if you can imagine that. I can. Yeah, I know. It's easy. easy. (laughs) It happens to us six months of the year. So anyway, I was was over at somebody's house for actually a Bible study. I don't want to make it sound like I was holier than thou, but we had um, me and my wife and I think a couple of our kids were really young at the time. And uh, I was just, I just finished up seminary. I had, had my favorite Bible. I mean, it's this Bible that I carried with me everywhere. It had those large margins in it. So I'd taken a bunch of notes. I'd followed a bunch of teachers. It was just mine. I knew where everything was in it. And uh, I put the kids in the car and I, I set it up on top of the car just to set it there for mm-hmm. a second. Put the kids in the car, get in the car and take off. Of course, it was I, cold. It, it was cold. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, <laughs> my Bible said not to put the car. And uh, we're driving down 94 past Best Buy. It's a very busy stretch of freeway for those people who don't live in Minnesota. And uh, it's actually pretty dangerous. There's a lot of traffic there all the time. It never slows down, okay, even at late at night. So we're heading down the freeway, and all of a sudden I hear this clunk, 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 like I had hit something. Uh-huh. And I looked at my rearview mirror, and my Bible is opened out of the case, and it's just flying. It's just spread <laughs> open in the fast lane I was driving. Flay yeah. open, yeah. <laughs> it was just spread open. I... I go, oh, no, my Bible, and I pull over immediately on the side of the road, and then there's there's a wall on the side of the road. Okay, it's that dangerous of a stretch of freeway, right? There's a wall there that protects all the commercial businesses right. from the freeway. So I pull up against the wall as close as I can get with my family of two in the back, which is the stupidest thing to ever do, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's late at night. It's been snowing. My Bible's in the fast lane, and it's just I'm watching it as people are trying to get around it, but they occasionally hit it. And pages are now being ripped out of it. I jump out of the car and I'm standing with my back against the car and I'm thinking I'm going to run out there and get it. I'm just going to wait for an opening. <laughs> and, and the window's open and I look back at my wife and I'm looking out on the road and the cars won't stop. And my wife says to me, you can do it, honey. <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? You're trying to kill me right now, aren't you? You're trying to get rid of me for this Bible. I just remember standing on the side of the road and I just watching it just get obliterated by cars. And I remember going home just crushed. My my 20-year Bible gone. Oh, I you shed a tear, didn't you? I did a few. Yeah, yeah, that was actually pretty sad. I just so many cool memories I'd written in their journals, notes, sermons I'd listened to. Mm. I mean, even some well-known people that I'd taken notes from that that really left a mark on my life. And well, uh, there's that Bible out there on the uh, freeway. I think it's gone now. Yeah, it's a tough it's story years here. ago. But you know, hey, I I think I figured out that it's more important that it lives in your heart than in a book, anyway. So yep. you know, hey. But I think you are going to be, you know, that sharing that story gives other people a little bit of comfort because they've lost their favorite Bible too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it happens absolutely. to many, many people. All right, let's jump back into Daniel chapter 3, and now we've got to the place where Nebuchadnezzar has got this image that he wants everyone to bow down and worship, and he also has um, a furnace set up in the event you don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. now so now you got these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what's happened is, so I'm going to try to describe the scene, because it's, I want everybody to know this, this is a little bit of a political tension here, Okay. So Daniel, because he has resolved the dream, he seen he saw the dream, resolved it, answered it, got promoted by the king, all right? But because Daniel got promoted, he persuaded the king to also promote three other guys, his buds, above all these other Chaldeans and astrologers and magicians. So now Nebuchadnezzar has set up this great image. We all know that Daniel's not going to bow to this image, Right. But but Daniel doesn't have any recompense for this because he's the second man in all the world. But the three guys refused to bow. But guess who's watching them? All the astrologers and Chaldeans and magicians and seers are kind of waiting to catch these three guys not bowing to this image. So imagine the scene. It's politically tense, right? Mm-hmm. They're waiting to catch the three guys doing something wrong. They know that they're not going to bow to it, so they wait till the floor, flute, horn, mm-hmm. whatever, all the instruments are blown. Harp. Yeah. Yeah, right. And they don't bow, and they come back and report it. So they're telling on him. Sound familiar? We've had a lot of that kind of going on in the country over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, right, where people are policing the mandate, so to speak. Let's just put it frankly, right? So these guys are policing the mandate to get somebody else in trouble because, well— they want them to be oppressed like they are. If they got to bow, then everybody's got to bow. So they're going to make everybody else do it. So obviously Nebuchadnezzar finds out about these things, calls him, them in, and he's furious. He's furious because he wants to be worshipped. He's that insane. He wants to be worshipped so bad that he's going to show them his rage. So he heats up the fiery furnace seven times the amount of heat. It's so hot that people can't even bring him up to it. The people that bring them up to it die. It's that hot. That's how hot his rage are. He throws them in, and there they are in the middle of this fiery furnace. By the way, it is the same fiery furnace they probably used to melt down the gold, right? So it's conveniently located right next to this golden image. Mm-hmm. Well, they go in, and of course, as we as the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he sees these three guys kind of walking around, kind of casually, like they're in a sauna. <laughs> or, you know, like they're like they're taking a break from the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. I don't know. They're just kind of chilling in there. And then all of a sudden he sees his fourth image. And uh, he it, it's a little bit unrecognizable, but it's brighter than the fire itself. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar has heated up this fire as hot it can go, as hot as it can go. And yet he looks in and there's something hotter than that, more bright than that. And, of course, as the story goes, the three men walk out unscathed. It says that not a hair of their head was singed. There wasn't even a smell of smoke, hmm. right? Like you, you sit by a campfire, you stink. Yeah. Right? I mean, you just smell by sitting by the campfire. It's kind of and, a good stink, though. Yeah, it is a good stink. Right. right. <laughs> Sometimes. It's a happy stink. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> if you're covering up other scents, right, from being right. out in the wilderness right. for a yeah, long period yeah, of time. Yeah, 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 that's good. Right, so, you know, here, here these guys come out, and there's not even the smell of smoke on them. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar understands that God has saved them. And so, again, here we are. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is now 
worshiping their God, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, out of this moment. Another chance for Nebuchadnezzar, right? So another beautiful moment with all kinds of application to it, such as, you know, standing up for your faith. Sometimes yeah. we'll risk you something. Sometimes you're going to be thrown into the heat of fire, and it may be uncomfortable. But I really believe these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had resolutely decided that they were going to do whatever it was going to take to stand up for their God, even if it meant they were going to die. And I love that verse in 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know that uh, we will not serve your God or worship this image. Exactly. Yeah. Even if not. And isn't that a beautiful moment to say, our lives doesn't really matter. One thing matters more than this moment, being obedient Mm -hmm. to our God, who is the most high God. 17 and 18 in chapter 3 are such powerful verses. You know, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, (laughs) we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Right. Very very similar to what Pete was saying in the last hour, right? Like there's there's trials that we're all going to go through where... Yeah, you're going to be purified. And you're going to have to walk through it, and it's going to be hot, and it's going to torment you, and you're not going to like it. Every every one of us sitting here and everyone listening today has been through an experience like that where it's tested you. What God is looking for is a willing follower who will follow him into the fire and trust him with it. And yeah, you may risk your very life, but he will be there with you in the fire. And as you walk out of the fire, hopefully. So, Vince, when I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I see their faithfulness and their willingness to uh, stand strong, again, we've got a lot of models of people in this chapter saying, look it, we're not going to be persuaded. We are not caving in. We are going to stand up for our faith. So it's more than just Daniel. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we've got a whole bunch of role models in this in this chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Um, and they came out of the fire, like you say, no, the fire had not harmed their body, nor was a hair of their head singed. Mm-hmm. Where previous, if you even got close to the fire, you died from the heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you know it's it's funny, but I I think we all are experiencing some trial in our life right now. We're either going into one, we're in one, or we're coming out of one, and we we learn all these great things about God while we're in the middle of that thing, right? We learn about His sovereignty, we learn about His provision, we learn about all the miraculous things we that He does, but we we never realize it until we actually take a step of faith and trust Him. Now, these guys could have easily just bowed to the golden image and, and said, you know, it, it's a policy. Uh, we, we had to submit to it. We're, we're prisoners, right? We're, we're not going to take a stand. But they, they chose not to bow, so they continued to take a stand, and they then verbalized that confession, and then they chose to go as far as the confession would take it. Mm-hmm. And then God brought them all the way through it. Now, God doesn't work like that every single time because sometimes you don't walk out of the fire. Sometimes you stay in it. And it's really unfortunate. But there is no place that God is not with you in it if you choose to be with him. 
right? You have to choose to be on Team Jesus. Yeah. And uh, these guys represent that really well here. In fact, Daniel's a little bit out of his picture in, in this instance, right? Yeah. He's kind of an observer to this. And that's where the heroism of God through these men shine. Remember, it, this is not about what these men do. All they're doing is being faithful. That's it. It's about what God does through them and with them in the trial. And I think the hope here is for anybody who's in the middle of a trial right now, is that if you're willing to take a step of faith with Jesus, if you're willing to trust in him, he will be with you through that challenge. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. But you've got to place faith in him. And sometimes those steps of faith are small steps of faith, and I think sometimes they're giant. I think this one was a giant step of faith, which is why I think it's so incredibly beautiful. We get to see this divine moment of God working through this giant step. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break, but if you have not uh, signed up for the Faith Radio app, I really encourage you to do it because you will love it, for starters, and you can stay connected to Faith Radio no matter where you are. You can listen live or you can listen at your own leisure on demand. You can also keep up with the latest giveaways and promotions. So just go to your um, app store and download the free Faith Radio app. And speaking of great giveaways, in this month we're doing our biggest bundle of book giveaway. And each week we have a new theme. And this week it is to discover how to seek God and grow spiritually. So if you want to sign up to get a bundle of books on that topic, how to seek God and grow spiritually, you can sign up for that bundle giveaway at MyFaithRadio.com. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com, sign up to win. Good chance you might. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for being with me today. Vince Miller is my guest here in studio with me. We're going through the first five chapters of the book of Daniel. And we've got, we have, we've had so much fun to this point. Uh, so we've got a couple of chapters left to go in about 12 minutes. So let's get cracking here, Vince. We're in, <laughs> we're in chapter four. All right. All kinds of things in chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, right? So he has a dream. This time he doesn't withhold it from everybody. Mm-hmm. He tells everybody what it is. But basically it's this picture of this this great tree that he sees. And uh, it's it represents his greatness. And, of course, in the dream, the tree gets chopped down. And, and of course, it's an, it's an edict on Nebuchadnezzar. God finally says, here's what's going to happen to you, is essentially what happens. And Daniel interprets the dream. And and what's interesting, I think, in this moment is when Daniel comes in to interpret the dream, uh, Daniel has been in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar for about 30 years up to this point, all right? 
He's been faithful. So he came in when he was about 18. You know, he's probably in his 50s mm-hmm. by now. So we're, we've done at least three decades. And in this moment, I really believe that, that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have somewhat of some chemistry. I mean, you work with someone for 30 years, you, you kind of know the nuances sure. of who they are. And, and Daniel has to interpret this dream, and Daniel's terrified about interpreting this dream. So he shows this, this terror and this fright on his face. And Nebuchadnezzar knows what Daniel looks like when he's terrified. Mm. So he gives, Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel permission to go ahead and say what it means. And Daniel says to him, may this only come upon your enemies, but here's the edict for you. You're a man who gives edicts, but this one is one from God. You're going to get chopped down like a stump. And you're going to be left to wonder with the wild beasts of the earth. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to eat grass like an ox. And this will come to pass. And Daniel delivers this, I believe, in the most kind way. I, I, I you know, of course, the story does come to pass. Uh, it's, a, it's a few years' time. Uh, another 12 months goes by. And uh, Daniel's tried to encourage him after this dream to, to reconcile with God. He says, please, do me a favor, king. Reconcile with God. Repent. Turn from your ways. Turn to God. Declare him the most high God. Well, 12 months go by and kind of nothing happens. And then all of a sudden at the 12-month mark, we see Nebuchadnezzar again is kind of worshiping himself. He's all excited about his empire. He's walking around on the top of his palace. He's thinking about how great he is. And right there in that moment, in that instant, Right there in that instant, all of a sudden, the edict comes to pass. He, he falls to the ground. He kind of goes insane. He's left with the wild beasts of the earth, and he starts to eat the grass like an ox. So, you know, basically, he's lost his mind. I uh, hope this doesn't sound familiar. Okay, so he's lost his <laughs> mind. And, and you're just kind of like, what in the world is going on? And we're kind of left hanging here with what's going to go on. But seven years pass. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to his senses again. And then at the end of chapter 4, he worships God. He comes back to his senses. He worships God. And then he returns as king and gets more than before. Okay, so this is craziness, right? Now, we, we all got to ask ourselves the question is, did, did he make a genuine decision for faith? Well, we, we really don't know because Nebuchadnezzar has flip-flopped for a long time, and that's the end of his story right there. He makes this confession, and then that's the last we hear from him. And then a few years later, he, he dies. But uh, I know this. What, what is interesting about this moment is that in those seven years, while Nebuchadnezzar is rolling around on the ground eating grass, guess who his number two guy is? Daniel. He never involves himself in a coup. He never takes the throne. He's just patiently waiting. He allows him to crawl on the ground and eat grass. And then after seven years pass, Nebuchadnezzar takes the throne again. I think that's super interesting because I believe the way a man or a woman of God stewards the responsibility they have is important. And I think Daniel does it the right way. In fact, I know he does it the right way. He does it in a way that honors God. He knows even though God has delivered this edict to him that there's a chance that he might believe. And because Daniel doesn't get in God's way, it appears that Nebuchadnezzar has made a change of heart. Now, we don't really know. But you look at this moment, you're like, 
wow, that's pretty cool. Daniel could have been number one, but he chose not to be number one. He played number two. You know why he played number two? Because he knew who really was number one. Mm -hmm. It was the almighty God. It was not King Nebuchadnezzar. And even though King Nebuchadnezzar was going to come back, he was hoping, I think, in his own mind that Nebuchadnezzar would repent, turn to God, and allow God to lead the empire, to lead the world. How cool is that story? It's crazy cool. And then there's this, this abrupt end. It's a, it's a totally abrupt end. I'm going to try to... How many minutes we got here? We still Six. got time? Six minutes. Yeah. Okay, so chapter five, all right? So you come to chapter five, 25 years have passed. 25 years. So we, we don't hear any more from Nebuchadnezzar, but there's this new guy in power. Actually, five kings, about five kings have passed since Nebuchadnezzar. All of them served very short terms, just a couple of years apiece. Some of them, one only served a couple of months, but then there's this, the, the current king is actually the father, uh, is a son to the guy who's actually reigning. So there's a, there's a king in power right now. I don't want to get everybody confused by naming him, but there's a king in power right now that has a son, and he is a, uh, the, the son is a co-regent. All right. Uh, the Persians have taken most of the Babylonian Empire. All right. Taken almost all of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, this co regent, his name is Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar like Daniel's Babylonian name, Belshazzar. And uh, he is a, a kind of like a little bit of a puppet king. He's ruling inside of the city of Babylonia. And at this moment, at this moment, what's going to happen is this, this young man is going to, inside of the city of Babylonia, throw a massive party, a big party, a party like no other party. He's inviting thousands of people into the palace. They're, they're drinking. They're dancing. You can imagine the DJ spinning it out over on the turntable. They they got the music turned way up. People are dancing. They're drinking. There's, there's lewd behavior going on because there's all kinds of women and concubines and all this kind of stuff going on inside of this place. And, and uh, at this moment, when they're, when they're really tipsy, uh, Belshazzar calls for the articles of the Temple of God. And he has them brought into the party because they're going to drink from them. All right? Now, God has limits. I want you to know that. There's certain lines you don't want to cross with God. But he brings all these articles in. And outside of Babylonia, the Persians are encamped. All right? They're waiting to take the one last city. So imagine an arrogant, selfish, narcissistic, entitled young man whose dad is away because he's not there leading the empire, who's given him the city to lead, who decides to throw a party because he knows the walls are impenetrable and they can live inside those walls for 20 years while the Persians are outside listening to the music, listening to the dancing, listening to the singing, and then Belshazzar takes it too far. He goes and gets the articles of the temple. When he does this, all of a sudden he looks over at a majestic wall and he sees a hand and writing on the wall. And, of course, it's the divine hand of God presenting an edict to him for what he has done. There's, there's no arm attached to this. Hand. There's no arm. It's just a hand. No. <laughs> it's just the thing, right? <laughs> so it's writing on the wall. And, of course, we, we see at this moment that Belshazzar, he, he has a, a come-to-Jesus moment. You know, he, he sobers up the fastest, I think, that anybody's ever sobered up in their life because he's about to have a carefrontation. I call that a carefrontation with God. Mm-hmm. And he looks over and he sees it, and all of a sudden there's terror on his face. He turns pale and white. Uh, it, it, it's 
says that his mind kind of goes crazy and he falls to the ground because his hips are out of joint. I, I think some theologians say literally he crapped his pants. Mm-hmm. That's what some yeah. theologians actually say that. And, and here's this guy rolling around the ground with his knees knocking because he's seen this image on the wall. He calls <laughs> in all, all of his guys, you know, seers again, magicians, astrologers. But guess who's not in the room? Daniel's completely missing. He's been missing for about 25 years. He's nowhere to be found. But there's only one who can interpret this thing, and it's Daniel. And, of course, it's an edict against this man. And guess what? This is one day. This all happens in one day. And the kingdom falls at that moment. The Persian king comes in, takes, you know, Darius the Mede comes in, takes control of the kingdom. And that's the end of the great Babylonian empire. Someone stepped too far over the line with God finally. It's an amazing story, Uncle Vince. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't make it up. I just read it. No, no, you just tell it so beautifully. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You you have us all on the edge of our seat. Yeah. So, you know, hey, we, we live in these times, right? We... There will be this moment where we'll all have a reckoning with God, right? Mm -hmm. We have to decide what we're going to do with that because, get this, there is going to be a day where every knee will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. You're going to confess it here or on the other side. It's better to confess it You get to choose, right? Vince, thank you so much for being with me. I love this time. And again, uh, Vince Miller can be reached at beresolute.org. He's always got something to offer over there. I think you've got a daily devotional you can sign up for. Do the Book of Daniel right charge. now. Yep. Book of Daniel yep. right now. If you want to get uh, more into this study, you can go to beresolute.org. Thank you for spending time with me today. I've loved being with you, and I hope you have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.